With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Mike on Howie, Chris on Soups, Mace on Hal, and Matt on Group. Wake up Wednesday and we feeling it like nothing can intrude as we read in the tome of big stacks, singles bagged and boarded, fitted in a box in the lab recording. Thoughts as they come, whatever they be. Comics is a world that we become. Sit back, listen to the man he sold. Wherever you are, wherever you're from, the Wednesday show is for all of y'all who leaf through books in solitude. Open up worlds that you dream of. The following show is from us to you. Peace. There's a million trillion things I'd rather fucking do than to be fucking with you. You little stupid ass, I don't give a fuck, I don't give a fuck, I don't, I don't, I don't give a fuck, bitch, I don't give a fuck. Welcome to another edition of the Wednesday Comic Book Show, it's me, your host, mate. When's the last time I said my name right? I'm trying to go anonymous. Let's start with some life stuff. I feel like I haven't done this in forever, but that's not true. Because it's been a week. Because this is a weekly show. I can't remember the last thing I... That's the fucking ADD already. That's the problem with working. When one works, the weeks just feel incomparably long. And when I was doing this, I was like reading the comics. And I felt guilty about starting to read the comics. Because I was like, I got all this work... And I've been doing all this other stuff, which I'll get into. And I don't really have time to be fucking with you, comics. But that happens every time. And then I read them and I'm like, oh, man, this is awesome. I'm fucking glad I read this. Because A, it was fun. B, it was funny. And C, it gives me a little time to vent. going to do some quick life stuff. That's the segment I call at the top of the show. And I almost always include a timestamp in the description to let you know that 5 to 25 to 35 minutes of this podcast ain't got shit to do with comics. 100% of this podcast ain't shit. But especially the life stuff section. So... I started doing something stupid. I started doing Muay Thai. <laughs> Muay Thai, the art of the eight limbs. Kickboxing. Kickboxing with boxing and kicks and elbows and knees. It's stupid considering that one of the things, uh, essentially, that I the only thing I can monetize is my brain power as a doctoral student an instructor and shit like that the only the only asset that i have <laughs> can't do shit can't fix a car can't don't really know how to dig a hole can't 
put together any machine or contraption, can barely put together IKEA furniture, and just 100% totally stupid, 100% totally stupid when it comes to math. I'm not funny. I'm not talented in an artistic way. Can't sing, can't paint, can't draw. Only thing I can do really is think and talk and teach. Although some of my teaching evaluations would dictate otherwise. But I figured I'd become obsessed with this whole like combat sports thing. I'm 26. There's no other time. I should have started a long time ago if I really wanted to explore this. But that's the kind of thinking that's kept me from doing a lot of shit that I wanted to do. There's a fucking gym right here in Baltimore that does Muay Thai. And I've always been super interested in striking, never been interested in grappling whatsoever. You know, I have a little bit of disposable income to put towards a gym membership. It's right there. Have a car, can get to it. Have time. Well, can make time. There's no reason not to do it besides my own insecurity and my own fear about doing it. Which is still is still very much present. I'm already having doubts. I'm like, God damn. Like today I got fucking hit in the face. Got hit in the goddamn face. I was like, what the fuck am I doing? I just got hit in the face. But then the fucking pain went away. Like there's there's a lot of apprehension to doing something because of the negatives, but then didn't weigh the positives at all. Didn't say, well, like, oh, this is gonna be this is gonna make my whole enjoyability factor when watching things like Muay Thai, watching things like boxing, watching things like mixed martial arts, it's gonna go up exponentially. And already, already I have a newfound appreciation for striking as like in martial art it's super technical and one of the things that's great about this gym which i won't publicize because i don't know what the fuck kind of kind of uh credibility i give to to it to a venture like this but it's a gym it's in baltimore and one of the things that the coach and the proprietor of the gym values above all else is technique technique through repetition through pad work through these intensive drills. And when you do that, you realize, oh shit, it's fucking hard. It's super hard, A, just to get the technique down, and B, to do it consistently. And when you see it sort of second nature in the Anderson Silvas, in the Leota Machitas, in the Stephen Thompsons, in the Cowboy Cerrones, the really high-level strikers, I have a Told, I already respect the fuck out of those guys, but now that I'm being coached and like every single, like every little thing, it's like, oh, you're fucking, you're not doing this wrong. You're not protecting your face. You got to put your glove up. You got to, when you do a switch kick, you got to do it like this way. And then you got to come and you pendulum down. And so all of this new terminology and shit that I am learning and it's being drilled into my head and I'm realizing how difficult it is to do consistently and do correctly. I'm like, holy fucking shit. I knew those guys could kick my ass, but it's not even like now. I'm like so fucking green in this shit. 
and my technique is all dog shit. Whereas before, when I would just shadow box, and I shadow box a lot, I'm not I'm not terrible. Like I'm not coming at this from zero. Like I hit pretty hard because that's the only thing that I would do to exercise would be like shadow box and doing my own drilling, exercising, learning on YouTube, which <laughs> come to find out is not learning. So yeah, it's just this totally new. And I'm obsessed with now the technique. So I'm like doing it in the office. I'm like, all right, one, two, three, kick, one, two, three, switch kick. Okay, so I, if I got a pendulum down, I got to put my foot here. And then the stance in Muay Thai is all weird. It's fucking awesome. And I've only done it twice. I can't wait to get back there. They're not even open on Wednesday, so I got to wait till Thursday. This whole time I'd be thinking, like, ah, I'm going to get rusty. I'm going to forget everything. Ah. But it's cool to have, like, something that you look forward to doing. And that's why I make time for it. But I still have the apprehension. Every time, both times that I've left, I've left with this intense, well, not really joy, but this just like this feeling of, all right, that was awesome, but I did all of these million things wrong. And I gotta, I gotta get better. I gotta get better. I gotta get better quick. And I don't know why I have to do it quickly. I don't know why I can't just take my time. But in my mind, I'm like, fuck, okay. Like it's just the the idea being that I don't know how to strike technically. So if shit was about to pop off, <laughs> this is how fucked up my brain is. Like if shit is about to pop off, I thought before that I would be able to defend myself. But right now I'm realizing that I haven't been doing any of these techniques correctly. I haven't even been throwing a jab the right way. All right, so now I know how to throw a jab the right way, but now it's a question of throwing a jab the right way every single time and throwing a hook the right way every single time. And the other thing is, and this is a fucking whole goddamn revelation. I didn't even know it was weird because I'd only been shadowboxing by myself. I'm a southpaw. I lead with my right leg, which usually means that the person is left-handed. I'm not left-handed. I'm right-handed. I'm just a fucking weirdo. And when, I, and when I told the coach I was a softball, he audibly was like, uh. <laughs> and then when he introduced me to the class, he was like, this is Mike. He's a southpaw. So fuck him. <laughs> this motherfucker. Every time you hold mitts for this dude, you got to change everything up and do it backwards and shit. Now no one, like, and people, and there are some motherfucking people, and I maybe it's because of the new guy, and I don't know how to hold mitts, so I had to hold mitts for them, and they don't want to fucking deal with me, which is totally understandable, but I have a feeling some of it has to do with being a southpaw, and people are like, fuck that shit, I'm not turning my fucking shit around just for this dude, there are 15 motherfuckers in here, in here to do orthodox, fuck this dude, I'm not doing this shit. <laughs> so the people who have, have helped me and held, held pads for me, I appreciate it. And you can tell in their heads, they're like, oh, fuck, I got to turn everything around because this motherfucker is goofy. And <laughs> I keep calling it goofy because now I'm sidetracking so hard because in skateboarding, <laughs> they, they have an orthodox stance and a goofy stance. <laughs> and so instead of saying Southpaw, I say goofy because I played Tony Hawk Pro Skater once. Um, but yeah, that's the thing. And I'll probably talk about it more. 
Another thing that I did want to talk about, UFC Denver, there, was, there wasn't much to talk about except that I'm in love with Valentina Shevchenko because this woman is like 56-2 and two in Muay Thai, and she beat Juliana Pena with an arm bar, a fucking arm bar on the ground where she was supposed to get her ass dominated by Juliana Pena. And then because I started doing Muay Thai and I was getting geared up for it, I watched a lot of Valentina Shevchenko videos on Access TV or on YouTube, presented by Access TV, and it was fucking crazy how fucking badass this woman is. She was throwing wheel kicks and knocking bitches down and fucking people up, check hook, switch kick, knees up, just a total fucking barrage of just limbs, limbs flying through the air and just knocking bitches down. I am in love with Valentina Shevchenko. And I was watching it with my girlfriend, who was like, I'm, fuck this little white bitch. I want Juliana Pena to win. I want that one to win. She's a hot. She, I like her, and this one looks goofy and ridiculous. And then the fight started, and at the end, she was a fan of Valentina Shevchenko. She just has that allure to her. I don't know. It was crazy. And then watching Cowboy Cerrone get knocked out was fucking rough. Again, watching him get knocked out twice was even rougher. I'll just leave it at that. Then another thing, WWE, Royal Rumble. What? I don't watch WWE. Well, yes, I do. <laughs> I guess. I guess now I do. So one of the things that all my f- friends who have been on many podcasts before like to do is watch WWE, and I had no fucking clue. I had no idea. So, we were watching the Royal Rumble, and at first, uh, like, watching, like, the preliminary matches, then there were a bunch of title matches, and, God, I'll probably not get many of these names correct, Um, but there was a Kevin Owens-Roman Reigns match. There was, what the fuck was the other one? AJ Styles-John Cena match. Like, it was progressive so like it started i think it was charlotte versus bailey so this is for the women's championship and i was like i was lukewarm about it. i love charlotte i saw charlotte win the belt off sasha banks i actually watched that at SummerSlam, and i like her but it it's it's a, a watching fake fighting is super difficult because they'll be like in submissions and i'll be like all you have to do to get out of that is turn around like, that person is doing nothing to you. There's no leverage. They're just holding your foot. Like, just turn around. And that happened throughout the night, but increasingly, what what happened to me was I saw that happen, for instance, the AJ Styles submission, where I go, hey, John Cena, turn around. And then he did. <laughs> <laughs> to my fucking like extreme delight when John Cena reversed AJ Styles submission I was fucking over the moon and then it was just about just taking it as what it was it's a bunch of dudes in there they're not really fighting but you know they're doing this like incredible athletic shit so by the times like 
increasingly up through the matches. You got Charlotte versus Bailey. It's like, okay, it's, okay, I get, I get it, I get it, but this is still bothering me. Like, I can't focus with all this shit happening. And then you had the one where Jericho was suspended up in the air. I, that was the Kevin Owens Roman Reigns fight. And then he goes through a fucking chair pyramid. And then this big motherfucker comes out and starts wrecking dudes up. Roman Reigns loses, and that's great because I hate that motherfucker. And then the AJ Styles John Cena matchup was fucking fire. And then once he was when he did the the F five twice to finish the match, I was like fucking wilding out. And I did, I had I had no idea that that was capable that I was physically capable to wild out watching wrestling. So by the time the Royal Rumble came down, I was like, I was going nuts. Everything was so like exciting. Everything was so interesting. Fucking Randy Orton was RKOing motherfuckers. This this big ass fucking Cesar fuckface dude was coming out, spinning motherfuckers around for some goddamn reason, like a goddamn pendulum. Dean Ambrose was fucking joking around. playing tricks on people chris jericho was like outside of the ring just taking like it was funny it was exciting it was cool and it was all fake and people weren't actually out there throwing punches with bad intentions trying to like kill dudes it's all scripted it was all fake and for me the big impediment to watching professional wrestling was this fucking shit is fake like when i was a kid I thought it was real, and I wanted to do it, and I was like, God damn, this is crazy. And then the Ultimate Fighter ruined everything for me because I was like, oh, no, 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 that's not real. This is real. Like, Bobby Southworth just knocked that motherfucker out. That's a fucking throwback Thursday, Bobby Southworth. (laughs) Remember that dude cut 26 pounds in 24 hours? Like, that's real. And so then I, I got off wrestling, and then Andrew got me into comics, which I should be talking about, but I haven't talked about, and we're already fucking 17 minutes into the podcast. Then sort of reintroduced me to wrestling, and I watched oh, only like two pay-per-views, but I'm also active on Twitter and following shit, so... You know, you you hear what's what's happening. You know who the champions are, and you know what the controversies are, and stuff like that. And there are the fucking. I thought the MMA media was crazy. The fucking WWE media is a million times more crazy, a million times more crazy. They're out there writing all kinds of think pieces and rankings and lists and storylines and outlining everything you need to know before you watch pay per view. You never have to watch Raw. You never have to watch SmackDown. You never have to do it, which is great because I don't plan on it, but. I don't mind watching the major pay-per-views, and I'm definitely going to watch WrestleMania. It's cool, man. It's cool. It's also a great way to spend time with your friends. But it's like we were freaking out the whole time. And then when Roman Reigns came down as number 30, the fucking air was sucked out of the room. Every I don't even watch wrestling that much, and I hate that motherfucker. He's so super whack. Like, he is the wackest motherfucker. Like, what is Roman Reigns? Seriously. Vince McMahon, what is he? What is he? That He's a fucking monstrosity of justice. He's the Donald Trump of WWE. <laughs> this motherfucker sucks. Anyway, um, I don't know what the next uh, major pay-per-view is, but we're on the road to WrestleMania. It starts in January, ends in April, and uh, I'm going to be along for the ride. Anyway, let's start talking about comics. 
I'll make a point here to fast forward 20 minutes into the podcast in order to hear me talk about Daredevil number 15, Charles Sewell and Goran Suzuka. This is the seventh day part two, the second part of an arc that deals with Bullseye. So at the very beginning of the comic, we get a fucking huge revelation. So by way of summary, before we get to that revelation, let's backtrack. Sam Chung, a.k.a. Blindspot, is Daredevil's new partner. He had his eyes gouged out by Muse. Muse, also called Vincent Van Gogh, was this crazy artist motherfucker who made installations using dead people and inhumans. So he would, like, kill the inhumans and then put in on toilets and shit, reading newspapers, and he's like, oh, they're human after all. Ha, ha, ha. So uh, Daredevil in... in his true Catholic fashion is overcome with guilt. He got his partner's eyes gouged out. It's a huge problem. So in order to solve this, he puts a hit out on his own name, hoping to attract Bullseye, who was once played by Colin Farrell in a movie. I just think everyone should remember that for all time. So Bullseye responds to the call, and we open up this issue with Daredevil right in Bullseye's crosshairs. So he put out this like $100 million, whatever the fuck, bounty. He wanted to get Bullseye to attack him. And this whole comic arc is organized around the bullet firing from Bullseye's sniper rifle heading towards Daredevil, and it's interspersed with Matt Murdock talking to, in disguise, talking to a priest and seeking some sort of guidance in all of this. And he has like a series of revelations, which I'll try to capture, and if not, fuck me. Um, but this is the big revelation. The revelation in the beginning lies in why Daredevil wants to find Bullseye. It's because Bullseye has this serum that can duplicate Daredevil's powers of enhanced senses. So basically, Daredevil wants that serum so Blindspot can have a somewhat productive life after being blinded, and it's all Daredevil's fault, Catholic guilt, blah, blah, blah. So as this bullet is coming down, we cut to Matt Murdock talking with his priest. He's wallowing in guilt. He's seeking repentance. He's doing it in disguise because he's not ready to like fully face the all of the implications of his actions. So as he's talking to this priest, this priest is talking about like perfection and the fact that the world's not perfect, but we want it to be. And why would God make a world that's not perfect? Blah, 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 blah. He also turns out to be a part of the Ordo Draconum or the Order of the Dragon, which is a militant Catholic organization established in the 15th century that basically dished out some God-fearing ass-whoopings on dudes. And this is evidenced by the fact that this motherfucker, as he's having this spiel about the world's not perfect, but we wish it was, and why did God make a world that sucks so much ass? Four dudes come up and like, give me your money, <laughs> trying to rob a priest and a blind guy. And then this priest rolls up his sleeves, has these two fucking crucifix tattoos on his forearms, and starts fucking these dudes up. And Daredevil also, boop, nudges one on the back of the head and knocks him unconscious. So this is all happening as, like, the fucking bullet is traveling closer to Daredevil and cut to the priest and then cut back to the bullet and cut to the priest and then cut back to the bullet and Daredevil then realizing, oh, no, I didn't call Bullseye because I wanted this serum. I wanted him to kill me. <sighs> this is my least favorite part of Daredevil as a series. I just don't fucking care about the Catholic stuff. 
I've never cared about the Catholic stuff. I never will care about the Catholic stuff. But it's such an indelible aspect of this character that every fucking time, every time, somebody makes a new run of Daredevil, they have to touch on this Catholic shit. It happened with the Daredevil TV series, but luckily they only did it in the first season. The second season, they were like, Catholic, what? Who cares? So cut back to the main story. And this is how that bullet traveling through the air ends. So that shit is getting closer and closer to Daredevil's face. He has this major crisis of faith. And he sort of realizes that what he's trying to do is he's trying to find a reason to get taken out of this world that he can't make perfect as per the priest's lecture on like the in in unconquerable struggle between people who want to see the world be a certain way and the fact that the world is never going to be that way but then he realizes i don't want to get taken out of this shit what i want to do is i want to in good faith continue rolling this fucking stone up the mountain and trying to make shit right and watching that fucking boulder roll down the mountain and then pushing it back up and watching it roll down the mountain again. He wants to fight and to keep fighting, even if it puts him on death's door, because that's all he can do, because he's basically a soldier of God, and he'll die or make the world perfect, whichever comes first. Anyway, he just deflects Bullseye's bullet, and that's the end of that. (laughs) <laughs> that's literally how it ends. <laughs> Bullseye fires a bullet in the first panel and Daredevil knocks it away in the second panel. Although Bullseye cannot miss, right? That's the whole thing about Bullseye. So he deflects it kind of. He still gets scratched by the bullet because we have to keep that like fucking Bullseye. It's like it just it has to be that way. It has to be that way. Bullseye can't miss. If he misses, it's like Goldberg losing. As soon as he lost, we didn't give a fuck about Goldberg. Goldberg is invincible. He lost? Fuck Goldberg. Bullseye can never miss. He missed? Fuck Bullseye. Although he's probably missed in other comics and shit like that. Epilogue. So that happens. Daredevil gets true serum from Bullseye. He has that whole moral conundrum and that whole faith-based travel through his own brain and shit. Epilogue is, uh, so Daredevil, having retrieved the serum from Bullseye, goes back to Blindspot's hospital bed to administer it to him. Remember, he was at the hospital in the last issue when we left him. When he gets there, he finds that Blindspot's mother checked him out of the hospital. He's fucking pissed. He's like, well, how could you let him leave? He's blind, blah, 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 just this and this and this and this. When he realizes that Blindspot's mother is the one who took him out, he calms down he sort of changes his demeanor and he just leaves the hospital and i think what we're supposed to get is that he realizes that he can't be out here dictating what is good for this kid and what is bad for this kid that's not like he can't dictate what happens to blind spot just because he feels bad and i mean that's sort of his huge character flaw that's one of matt burdock's big character flaws is that he's super over controlling and he wants to change shit that he has no control over. 
nor should he feel like he has to change that type of shit. In the last few panels, so after he does this, after he gets pissed and then he realizes, oh, fuck, well, maybe it's not my place to be doing this type of shit. Um, he bolts out and he heads to the, you guessed it, the church. Um, he goes back to that badass, buff-ass, Order of the Dragon-ass priest and confesses that he's Daredevil. Then he confesses that he's going to tell everybody that he's Daredevil. And then he's also going to reveal why nobody knows that he's Daredevil anymore. The next run is unsurprisingly called Confessions. And we're going to get some huge revelations happening here. Remember, nobody knows who Daredevil is. Not even Spider-Man, not the Avengers. Nobody knows who he is. Everyone forgot. Why did they forget? I have no fucking clue. But we're going to find out. Black Panther number 10. Let's talk about it. Ta-Nehisi Coates and Chris Sprouse. You're going to have to listen to the first nine episodes of this podcast or the nine episodes that deal with the Black Panther series because at this point we're so politically entrenched. There's so much that's happened. It's impossible to outline everything that's happened. But let's just start with the Midnight Angels. Remember the Midnight Angels have liberated the Jabari lands. They were two women, part of the Dora Milaje, who were the the a part of the government, but they sort of defected after they went rogue because of the sexual and proprietary... The... What was I even trying to say? Improprietary? Improprietaries? That's not even a thing, is it? <laughs> because of all of the, just the rampant sexual abuse that women were facing in Wakanda, the Midnight Angels were like, fuck this shit. We're going to make a nation full of people who won't fucking sexually abuse us. So at the end of the last comic, Shuri, or a vision of Shuri or something like that, appears to the Midnight Angels. And she approaches Anika, who's in the forest, and then Ao comes out and try and throws a bomb at her. And she's like, "That'll do it." And Shuri's like, "Nah, son, I'm still here." Um, I think it's because it's more of an astral projection of Shuri, not actually Shuri. But anyway, so she offers the Midnight Angels an ultimatum, something of an ultimatum, something of a truce, and she reveals that Wakanda basically it can't beat both of the factions that are warring against them. It can't beat the Midnight Angels and Tattoo's army. Tattoo is the rogue terrorist motherfucker who has been in cahoots with Zeke Stain, bombed the center of the city, hurt Ramonda, Shuri and T'Challa's mother in doing so, and is wreaking havoc. This dude is a thirst for power, a will to power that is unparalleled. And is also basically reproducing in his pillaging and raping on the countryside the sexual abuse that the Midnight Angels formed to combat. And in the last issue, there was some static between the Midnight Angels and Tattoo when they were basically like, y'all got to stop doing this sexually assaulting, raping, and taking advantage of of women and kids and shit like that and the innocent you just have to stop doing that and he's like well after the war's over we'll look into it and she, they're like motherfucker look into it now and he's like fuck that so 
there's some static already brewing between there. And basically, Shuri's like, we're going to bomb the shit out of you. We're going to bomb the shit out of you. Unless you surrender, you turn bad on Tetsu. And they are left to think about that. Cut to the war room. So we're back in the Golden City. We're back in Wakanda. Uh, We got Manifold, Shuri, T'Challa, and that fucking Buster Hodari, which don't trust Hodari. I've been saying it since issue number one. Do not trust Hodari. There's something strange about him. Something rubs me the wrong way about this dude. He either has superpowers or he's going to turn on somebody. Do not trust a motherfucker named Hodari. Anyway, Hadari lets him know that Tattoo is right on their asses. Two days away from the fucking city. Two days. Also, and this is a huge bummer, Tattoo's army has superpowers. They don't get tired. They don't sleep. All they want to do and all they can do is fuck Wakanda up. Cut to the Jabari lands. We're back where the Midnight Angels stay. So they're going over the proposal. Shuri's like, uh, we're going to fucking bomb the shit out of you or you surrender, you help us beat Tattoo. Also, I know that you've got some static with Tattoo, so what's Gucci? There's something appealing about the proposal for the Midnight Angels because basically in approaching the Midnight Angels with what essentially is a truce, even if it's a harshly worded truce, the throne the governing body of Wakanda basically recognized the angels as something resembling a nation or something at the very least resembling an organized governing body with which they could negotiate. This is made apparent by the fact that Wakanda absolutely will not negotiate with Tattoo because that motherfucker is a terrorist. They're not going to at all like give this motherfucker a seat at the table because he will blow up the table. This motherfucker will blow the table up. So in a weird, kind of bizarre way, the ultimatum from Shuri legitimized their whole movement. Because what they're trying to do was they're trying to build a nation. And then you got another person who's representing a nation, who is the king, queen, former queen, current queen, I'm still unclear, of Wakanda coming and being like, well, we'll negotiate with the Jabari lands. The what? Oh, you mean our country? Nice. We have a country. So they're mulling over it, but things seem to be on the upswing. Cut back to Changamira, aka Dada, aka Baba, not Dada. Dada, something different. Baba. Uh, a.k.a. the badass intellectual dude who teaches at the university and is always trying to give motherfuckers books to read and shit. He's also the political revolutionary who in many ways influenced the thought of Tattoo, the motherfucker who's about to blow up Wakanda. So basically, he and T'Challa sit down for a little talk. And by little, I mean it's long as fuck. And you have to read it to really get the depth of what they're talking about. But let's just go with plot-wise what it does. Plot-wise, T'Challa wants this dude on his side so Tetu doesn't fuck up the city. It's a huge symbolic victory. People are quoting this motherfucker in the streets. 
People are quoting Baba, Changamir. They're quoting this motherfucker in the streets and his revolutionary practices because they're mad at the totalitarian state of the Wakanda. They're not happy with it. And it would be a hugely symbolic victory for him to get on T'Challa's side. This is like a lot of high-level, sophisticated political maneuvering that's happening here. Cut to Anika, the Midnight Angels. She FaceTimes Tetu. And she's like, this alliance, it's over. We don't fuck with you. You little stupid ass bitch, we ain't fucking with you. Cut back to Wakanda. So it's unclear whether or not Baba, a.k.a. Changamira, a.k.a. badass intellectual dude, a.k.a. lover of Edmund Morgan and the American slavery paradox, It's unclear whether or not that dude is going to side with the Wakandan throne or at least denounce Tetu and the fucking rebels. But it is clear that the Midnight Angels aren't going to join Tetu and fucking up the city. So, at the very least, we got these badass women. We don't have to deal with them. We just have to deal with the army that doesn't ever get tired, doesn't need food, doesn't feel pain, and doesn't give a fuck about anything except fucking us up. So, let's fight them. And that's where the comic ends. This was fun, man. These books, again, these books, I'm picking the cream of the crop, looking at the cream of the crop of of what's coming out right now. I mean, it's not even, it's not even up for debate. Like Batman, Tom King's Batman is fucking amazing. Ta-Nehisi Coates' Black Panther is fucking amazing. Chris, not Chris, Charles Sewell's Daredevil is fucking amazing. There's just a lot of amazing comics coming out, and there's so many more that I haven't read or haven't even heard of, but it's really it's really good to be a comic book fan right now. This shit's getting awesome. Follow me on Twitter at LightShots, L-I-T-E-S-H-O-T-S, and we will see you on the next one. Bye. You ever seen a nerd speak in thin air? You ever seen such comic book flair? You ever seen two, three, four, five nerds fight and argue over made up words? Superman, Batman, and the Green Martian approach these worlds with Supreme Court shed. Listen to us as we rant and rave. Flip and follow on to the next page. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.